It's number one with a Bullard, the audio edition. I'm Gabe Bullard. Today's installment, The Zoom Food Bringer. By the end of the first week of pandemic remote work, I was newly aware of my coworker's partner's arms. At least once a day, someone in a meeting received a delivery of food, water, or coffee from an off-screen appendage or floating torso. The recipient would look at a face no one else could see, say something that went unheard as they kept their microphone muted, then take occasional sips or bites as work continued. In the frenzy of those early pandemic months, this felt almost patriotic. Here we were, journalists covering a crisis, spending extended hours at our laptops, getting rejuvenation from loved ones. Then it began to sink in that this wasn't unique to my office or my profession. We were doing the same thing tens of thousands of other office workers were doing. We ate at our desks, which were also our dining tables, and we stared into webcams instead of chatting with someone who wasn't on the same payroll as us. Linda's colleagues undoubtedly saw parts of me. I was never on Zoom when my colleagues returned the favor to their partners. Everyone had a view limited by webcam angle and time. Even using the term partner is incomplete here. Linda and I are married, sure, but we soon became office mates. Unlike with our other office mates, we didn't go up the street for coffee, but instead traded fetching plates and filling cups based on whichever of us wasn't needed online at that second. Favors, chores, domesticity overflowing into offices that spilled into domestic spaces, all governed by the Outlook calendar. The role of the Zoom food bringer is largely thankless. If we do say thanks for the food that's brought, we mute so no one else knows. If we can't mute, we gesture and nod. In some cases, the food bringer is unseen, but their presence is unmissable, given away by the intrusion and the illusion the recipient makes, the silent sign of gratitude that doesn't interrupt the meeting. It's discomforting to watch someone interact with a person who is off-screen. If we see something like this in a movie, it's either a mistake or a director's way of building suspense. When we see someone interact with an off-screen unknown, we don't have the information we know is relevant to the person on our screen. The distressed protagonist in a horror movie screams at a monster that's not yet revealed. The news anchor holds a finger to their earpiece to get the latest updates. Something has gone wrong. But we eventually see the movie monster. The anchor tells us what they've learned. These Zoom interactions rebuild the fourth wall that web meetings break by their nature. We move from being in a conversation to witnessing another conversation. Most of the time, at least one party is unaware of what's happening. They're not wearing headphones, or they can only hear the side of the conversation they're witness to. The viewer goes from sitting in a room to standing outside of it and pressing their face against the window. But then everything goes back to normal. The result of the viewer's unease is revealed as mundane a snack, or a fresh glass of water. To the viewer, the food bringer invites mystery. Their appearance gives the viewer a glimpse of an unknown world outside of the regular setup of the webcam. It's like when someone you meet with every day joins from a new location with a new background, or if someone keeps their camera on as they move rooms. Your mind races to grasp the geography of the speaker's home. You face a new reality, and you try to understand it. The food bringer might deliver coffee or toast in the morning, a sandwich or a soda at lunch, or they may tempt with a bottle of wine in the final minutes of the day's last meeting. But ultimately, they're bringing care. They're helping a person who is so busy they can't get up to do the basic functions of life. This action is routine and simple. It's barely enough to register as a favor. But it, too, 
is a basic function of life. We envision caregiving as an existential quality of what it is to be a human being. The medical anthropologist Arthur Kleinman writes in the essay On Caregiving, We give care as part of the flow of everyday lived values and emotions that make up moral experience. Kleinman's caregiving experience was honed in hospitals as a doctor, and at home as his wife's Alzheimer's developed. He has seen the most severe and heartbreaking cases in which care is needed, and he has participated in cases in which care is given at great cost. A day of meetings is not the same as a debilitating disease, but Kleinman's lessons on care make it clear how much it can mean to perform even the simplest act for someone else. Carrying a full plate to a hungry spouse might be routine, but to that spouse, who hasn't been able to leave their desk for eight hours because they're trying to make rent, it's a rare act of in-person kindness. Caregiving, Kleinman writes, is a practice of empathetic imagination, responsibility, witnessing, and solidarity. It is a moral practice that makes caregivers, and at times even the care receivers, more present and thereby fully human. And in a life spent online, peering through windows, what is more human than a real person? there before you. Number One with a Bullard is written and produced by me, Gabe Bullard. Linda Golden edits the script that I read and the newsletter that you can read at GabeBullard.com. Many of you already do, and I really appreciate that. I especially appreciate those of you who have told other people about it, either by posting to social networks or linking to it or even forwarding an email to someone else. You can rate and review this podcast wherever you got it. If you are so inclined to do that, doing it at Apple Podcasts or Spotify would make a big difference. But if you're just listening and you like it and that's all you want to do, that's great. I understand. Thanks for being here. I'll talk to you soon.